Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. When you're going through a hard time, where do you turn? Who do you ask for help? Look, no matter who you are, it's inevitable that you will need help and assistance from others. For members of our unhoused community, that help is not always easy to come by. But finding support, friendship, and community are vital, sometimes life-saving forces that can help to overcome the daily challenges that come with living without stable housing. Nashville has outreach programs and workers, but they can't be everywhere all the time. The city has been making changes, including a move to make the Homeless Impact Division, or HID, a separate department. So what does that change mean? My next guests are here to talk about that. Sally Lott is HID Coordinated Entry Manager, and Lee Holland is an HID Coordinated Entry Assistant. Sally, Lee, thank you so much for being with us. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you. Thank you. So, Sally, the Homeless Impact Division is now a distinct department. What does that mean for the work that you do and the services you provide? Correct. So the Homeless Impact Division is becoming its own department, the Office of Homeless Services, starting in July. And really what this means is that the work that the Homeless Impact Division has already been doing in terms of planning and coordinating services for those people experiencing homelessness in Nashville is going to be able to continue to grow and to expand. We're going to have a dedicated budget, and we're going to be able to increase our capacity to serve those who are experiencing homelessness. Tell me, what resources does HIV, HID pardon me, provide for folks who are currently experiencing homelessness? Sure. So the Homeless Impact Division's main role is in strategic planning and coordinating partners. Um, but with this new Office of Homeless Services, what we're going to be able to do is expand our capacity to provide outreach services, landlord engagement services, as well as increasing um, housing opportunities and our HMIS and coordinated entry departments. Now, Lee, you were formerly unhoused yourself, right? Yeah, for about 20 years. Tell me a little bit about your experience and how, you know, that <clears throat> shapes the work that you do now. Um, I was on the streets for a long time due to, I thought it was my choice. I thought it was the choice. You couldn't have told me that I was homeless because during that time period, I thought I had made the choice to live this way. Um, it wasn't until it wasn't until someone showed me, um, gave me a place to stay, a safe place to stay, and allowed to love me, love on me, and allow me to see things that had happened to me as a child that had conditioned me to allow myself to be treated any certain certain ways by certain people. Um, in living on the street, it's basically survival. Uh, you can't think about, I mean, it may cross my mind. I want to get a job, but I don't even, can't even have an address like things that I want to do to better myself. When you're just surviving, you have no idea how that looks. Um, being able, um, to overcome and I'm four years into my sobriety now. Um, congratulations. Uh, yes. Um, I, um, have been afforded an opportunity to work for Metro. And in saying that, they offered me this position that I honestly filled out for for a joke that I figured 
I just wanted to see what they would say. Hmm. They didn't care about my background. In fact, my background is what um, lit the fire, I guess, as far as for me to come on board because I provide that piece of being able to come on the other side. Well, tell me, tell me about that. How do you use your past experiences to reach out to people who may be hesitant to accept help? Um, basically that's trust is, is the biggest thing. And, um, gosh, I can't tell you, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm allowed to say the organizations, but I work with an organization of women and my job has now afforded me the ability to be able to help these women who are coming out of a program, who have been trafficked, who have addiction issues, who have homeless issues. I'm able to help them and allow them, even though they get discouraged because it's very hard to find housing, You, your background, your this, your that is going to let you, well, through MHID, we've work with landlords who are lowering those barriers and collaborating with us and giving these people an opportunity to have a real nice space. I live in an apartment right now. I have a dog park, mm-hmm. two pools, a fitness center. They pick up my trash. Like I, the places that I was always given to live were in an area where I frequented. Mm-hmm. And so just being able to have someone trust me and speak up. I think that's the biggest piece that I think Home Office of Homeless Services is doing is we collaborate the com- with the community. So it's not just each organization working on their own. We're coming together as a community, this Housing First Dance, as a community to all work together. Exactly. And and I'll say, Lee, too, about your voice on the team. It's very important because a big part of like our outreach expansion is about bringing services to where people are at mm-hmm. and having, you know, being able to increase that capacity, increase resource fares and bring it to where people are. And so having your voice on the team helps guide those efforts. Like this is where the people are. This is how to connect. You know, one place where people are housing are uh, uh, encampments. That have been out there, and the city has been really closing and shutting down encampments lately. Sally, tell me, how can HID, how can it help folks who are forced to relocate? Well, I will say this about recent camp closures is what the Homeless Impact Division's approach has been is to close encampments with a housing surge. We are not sweeping encampments. Every encampment that we are um, addressing Leading up to the closure and after the closure, there are intensive community collaboration meetings, support services. Everyone who had been living at the encampment, they're moved into hopefully immediately permanent housing or into interim housing. When they're in that interim housing, they're surrounded by support services often around the clock and are there until they are able to find more permanent housing. So what we are doing is really embracing those households in the camp and helping them move on into permanent housing. What can the city do to improve this outreach? I think um, our increased capacity with more outreach workers and more coordination um, are able to expand like how often we're in the community, how often like resource fairs are able to be provided, how often that we're able to, again, meet people where they're at, make sure they're entered into coordinated entry, make sure that they are given access to permanent housing, which is what really this is all about, is moving people into housing. Mm -hmm. I would like to speak on that too, as far as the closing of the encampments. One thing I will say is that it's never a forced issue. And one thing that I am 
am excited about when these things happen is because they're given a choice. It's not a you go here. It's like, well, hey, we have this or maybe we have this. So that way, maybe somebody wants to stay within the community. So they want to go here or maybe somebody is ready to not be associated and go somewhere else. So they're given a choice. It's not like, you know, it's nothing is a, like forced or any of that. Sally, when when you're talking to folks mm-hmm. and you're offering them that choice, what are what are some techniques that you use to really help someone who may be a little bit hesitant, maybe on the line and not knowing which way to decide? Sure. I think having that trust building that Lee referenced, um, the relationship between a person and their outreach worker, um, I think the voices of peer recovery specialists, likely there are other certified peer recovery specialists in the community, I think is incredibly impactful and have made a really big difference when speaking with people about kind of their next steps. It can be really hard to leave somewhere that has been, um, you know, your community or your home for a long time, but having those conversations with peer recovery specialists, um, that trust building, I think has been really helpful in people kind of like embracing, um, that change. And I truly believe, I think it's a misconception in the community that people don't want housing. I do not believe that's true. People want to live somewhere safe and where they're supported. And, you know, that's what we're trying to do. That is Sally Lott, Coordinated Entry Manager for the Homeless Impact Division. I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much. Lee Holland will stick with us through the break. Okay. When we come back, we'll talk about the sense of community people find inside encampments. Join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Kalile Colonna, and this is Nashville. In the past year, the state legislature has made it illegal to camp on public property, and the city has cleared out several homeless encampments. For unhoused people living in our city, these encampments can serve as places for protection and for learning about resources. Sometimes that may be on where outreach workers will be showing up next. Other times, it could be lessons on how to survive. Encampments are also places that form bonds and a place to form bonds. My next guest knows this firsthand, Justin Hayes of East Nashville. Thank you for being here today. Welcome to This Is Nashville. All right. Thank you for having me, Khalil. Really appreciate you being here, my man. Tell me, you know, break down the day-to-day dynamics of living in an encampment for me. What's What's it like? Um, the day-by-day dynamics, I tell people, it's pretty simple, uh, rather than me just go on and on about it. Basically, you wake up, you want to eat, you want to make sure you're not rained on, you know, you don't want to get wet, you want to have shelter. And really, uh, if you're not panhandling and asking people on the street, you know, to give you money, uh, which I don't do and I don't condone, nor do I uh, not condone it. Um, it's just something I personally don't do. Um, you're figuring out how to survive. How do you eat and how do you stay warm and how do you stay cool and, uh, you know, how do you hydrate? And that's that's what your day-to-day operations are. Some people choose to do it the right way and some people do it the wrong way. Uh, places like Open Table, who I kind of like dealing with out there, um, they happen to give me an, an outlet to not have to go out there and do things to put me myself in a position to uh, have interaction with uh, the officers of Metro or things of that nature. So um, 
you know, that's the day-to-day -day operation, literally. So you want to try to build. And once you build, you want to, your goal is to therefore um, settle. So you build, you settle. And then the transition point of a homeless person to integrate themselves back into society, you know, people give out all kinds of a, a plethora of different ways or reasons on how to do it. Mm -hmm. I have a solution. Uh, it's a last chance program. You just go out there and you say, there's a last chance for you. If you don't abide by this contract, then we don't help you, period. Mm -hmm. That's the bottom line. And, uh, you know, deal with it yourself. But as of right now, there has to be a change. Um, the reason why I interjected that comment there is I didn't want to forget that that was one of the, uh, the actually the sole impetus for me even being here would be um, for that comment. There needs to be a last chance program for the homeless. So the homeless and the people on the other side, because I don't, I'm not pro homeless. I'm not pro other side. Mm -hmm. I'm a mediator of some sort, I would say, uh, uh, but I am homeless and I, you know, it is real. And, you know, I've had a lot of wild things happen to me out there where, uh, you know, I probably, I guess I just can talk about it on here, but this is the point. It is a, it is a real struggle. There's 60, 70 year old ladies out there sleeping on the street with grandchildren and children mm -hmm. being woken up rudely by certain organizations, uh, certain you know, something has to give, and I'm not coming on your venue to try to control this radio show. What I'm trying to say is, I don't know, has nobody just stepped up to the plate to get it done? This is what needs to be done. Well, that's why we're having these conversations, yeah. to try to get something done to face that. Now, you, you talk, I appreciate that. You talked about the community, like 60-year-old women who okay. are out there with their grandkids. What are the relationships with people in the encampments like? Oh, it's it's a it's a family. I mean, it is a family. I used to I, when I first came out here. I'm from New Jersey, and uh, my story we left unsaid until somebody comes to me and wants to hear my story. Everybody has an interest in one. But what is the relationship? I when I came out here, I said, "What these people, meaning homeless people? Uh, first of all, I do love Nashville. I think Metro is by far the fairest police department I've ever been around. And uh, you know, I'm not an angel. So for better or for worse." Metro, I'd like to say that they do an excellent job out there. Um, but let me get to the point. The relationship is a dysfunctional family style relationship. So one day, um, I remember just, you know, I was on the other side of town, let's say, in an encampment, and uh, that's a big one. And um, I was watching people argue and then actually start fighting, and then it be, just became kind of crazy. And then, I don't know, 10 minutes after it was all settled and done, and, and literally there was chaos. Now there's calm and these people acted like it never happened. So it's a kind of like a dysfunctional family, but the mm -hmm. love that inherently comes from this dysfunctional family, I think is as strong, if not stronger, ultimately than a blood family bond. It's, well, it's quite interesting. Well, how do folks find the support that they need there? How do they find support? Uh, places like Open Table, that's where I previously mentioned. Uh, Salvation Army, I, I know that comes there. I, I like dealing with the Salvation Army. Um, you know, there's there's all kinds of different areas. Uh, the contributor down in Nashville on the Fifth Avenue, they feed the homeless, they help out with um, food and stuff. If that's what you're asking, I might be missing the point. No, no, that's definitely one question. It's good to learn about those resources. Okay. How, tell me this: How are people in the encampment? How do they come together to support each other? You mentioned this dysfunctional oh. family, and you know, sometimes family can fight. That's sometimes right. Sometimes family comes to help each other out too. Sure, sure. Um, how, well, I think, uh, how we come together to help each other is, well, imagine this past winter when, well, imagine this, we had a record breaking storm, I believe this past winter, negative 17 or negative something. Pretty cold. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, imagine being in a tent 
with no nothing around you, and all you hear is cries of help, please, somebody help me, save me, and all this kind of stuff, and people literally think you're dying, what's going to happen? You're going to bond. You're going to come to each other's aid. You're going to teach how, how do we get a how do we get a fire started when it's ten degrees below? I mean, so so those kind of survival lessons under those kind of certain instances. I mean, what would how would you feel if I had to go outside in wet clothing, save you when it's 10 degrees less out? And people don't understand how cold that is when you, mm-hmm. you're never even on the inside to even understand a, a core body temperature concept. So if I came to your tent, let's say, and I gave you heat, warmness, however I provided um, emergency relief to you, how would you look at me for the rest of your life? You'd probably give your life for me. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's how we become a bond out there because we face real situations. It's important to say, oh, do you really, are you really homeless? I don't know. Come hang out with me for a week. I'll show you I'm homeless. Mm-hmm. You know? If you're just tuning in. And I was in, a stockbroker on Wall Street for 10 years. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking this hour about how people who are living with housing instability are finding and forging communities. Tweet us your comments. We want to hear from you at This Is Nashville. Now, Lee Holland from the Homeless Impact Division is still with us again, Lee. Thank yes. you for being here. Mm-hmm. When, when you hear Justin talking about his experiences <clears throat> at the encampments, how does that, how does that impact you? Um... It, it brings tears to my eyes. Um, you know, that was my life for a long time. Um, the difference is, as I told you before, is that I thought I chose homelessness uh, was the difference because I was an addict and that's how I dealt with the pain of trauma that I had no idea where it came from. Um, so allowing um, things to happen to me um, and 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 to do things and to be in these communities, that was the form of love that I knew. Mm-hmm. Pain was love. And so even though these people might do me harm, I know that I'm going to stay alive. I just have to endure whatever it is they're wanting me to do. And my goal was to stay alive. Mm-hmm. So... Um, when it comes to um, what's being done now, as from when I was on the street, there weren't all this, there wasn't all this collaboration of people coming out and actually, you know, making an effort to say, hey, what happened? What's going on with you? Why are you here? Because that's the real question. The question isn't, um, you know, they could do something different. You don't know what occurred to allow that person, if their best choice was to choose homelessness, mm-hmm. what were their choices? You know, and so to be able to make contact and earn trust with someone, um, I think it's amazing how we have the certified peer recovery specialists now where when we come out on the other side of it and we have that lived experience, we can reach out and reach back because I'm you, Mm-hmm. I was there. I used to wait behind Publix to eat g- the, uh, <laughs> the deli garbage that they put out. That's how it was. I can tell you're real. Yeah, sure. that's how it was. That's how I survived. So, um, yeah. So when these people, you know, when these our outreach teams and stuff are going out into the community and we're offering people services, it's going to take a minute 
for them to really actually trust that, hey, maybe this time this is going to be services. Question for you. You, you, all, you talked about trust several times. Now, is that something that happens in, say, an outreach group comes to an encampment and they introduce themselves for the first time? Do, do the people in the encampments, do they talk about, hey, can we trust these people? Are these people really here to help us or will they just be around for now and, and they're, are they going to take off? Is this a quick ephemeral trip? And, you know, what are those conversations like? I'd like to hear from both of you. Justin. Well, I, oh, no, please. Well, I would say from the beginning contacts, when when anyone would approach me, um, it's going to take more than just an initial contact because I'm going to think you're full of crap. And number one, remember, I don't think I'm homeless. I don't think I that um, I'm homeless. I think I think that I, this is what I chose. This is what I get, and this is how my life is. So when these when our outreach groups come out, they have to remember that some people think that this is their choice. Mm-hmm. That is true. without realizing they have such deep rooted trauma that they haven't identified that has led to them to be conditioned to allow themselves to be treated in a certain kind of way, and then just pushes them down. So just being able to go into an encampment and just continue to make contact, you know, it's because it's not going to be done quickly. You know, Justin, talk to me about these encampments being shut down, you know, what's your reaction to that? Um, Well, I don't want to say exactly where I stay, but across the street from where I stay, um, well, across from most camps, there's always somewhere that has a construction site. Well, let me put myself on the other side. If I own that construction company or if I own that um, building or whatsoever, I wouldn't want a homeless camp next to me. So, um, you know, you know, this is the thing. There's nobody has come and figured out a solution. Like, why would I? And, and I respect that question. And I, it's a great question. But I'm gonna try to steer it in another way to um, go. You know, Lee, she she will use a more psychological standpoint on the issue of homelessness. And I, she's right on the money. I mean, period. She is. She's been there. You could tell. I've never met her before. But exactly. Some there's so many different dynamics. Some people think that they're chosen to be there. Some people think they belong there. Some people just love the drug they're doing. And that's why they're there. Mm-hmm. Some people can make money while they're there, so they are there. I mean, it's just so it's bizarre to say the it's least. It's a predator and prey. Oh, it is, and mm-hmm. it, it is, and and there's. I mean, we're not even going to talk about how many well, uh, homeless people aren't it, around anymore. Last question I, I can ask yeah, for this I'm segment: sorry. How does in that environment where there's predator and prey, yeah. people are feeling, uh, you, you, like you said, you're struggling daily mm-hmm. to survive oh, and to meet yeah. all these challenges? How does the community come together? To help each other. What oh, community? Wow. See, in the homeless eyes, there's them, and there's the city, or there's the other the other people. People, people in the encampments. Okay. How do they come together and help each other? I know for me that the way that I got by every day was was doing things that were against the law, and I'm sure you can know what that is as far as a female being on the streets, and. Um, if there was a day that I was sick or I didn't have any money or I could or I was starving, I didn't have any food, I knew I could go to one of these areas that I can that I considered safe, go to one of these areas that I considered safe because I knew that they were going to protect me, even though I knew once I was safe and got better, they were going to expect something from me for allowing me to be there. Mm-hmm. 
but at least I knew for that time I could go there with no money or anything and at least lay down and get myself better or get me something to eat, whatever I needed. But I know, I mean, I have to pay for it on the other end. So it's kind of um, twisted. But but certainly not always the case. No, right? not, not always the case. Not always the case. But it is a it is a fact that that happens and that goes on. And but from a standpoint, we would have to assume and lend itself to there are certain people that you know you could go to as family and say, hey, I haven't eaten in almost twenty four hours now. Could I get your last order or could I get your last fig new yeah, bar? I, right. I, I mean, no, I didn't have family. I could go to. No family as a well, I don't either. A family. Oh, you're talking about com- yes, yes, yeah. yes. I mean, yes. You, you have to. Yes. If you were part of this, yes. it probably made you grow and get stronger in certain areas. So you have to lend it certain credibility. I think that's why it's so important for as we're doing the our outreach departments and the outreach teams of the other organizations, just continuing to make that contact, so that lets someone like me know, hey, these people maybe they. Maybe they are trying to help me. Let me see, you know, and it with that constant pop up instead of just random, mm-hmm. but you're constantly going out and checking your areas. That's how the real trust begins and the work can start. I want to I thank real, you real both. fast. The homeless community needs a integrating back into society concept. Okay. And that's what Housing First is. That's what Housing First does. I'm a big fan of Housing First. I've heard of you. I didn't know that was your organization. I really want to thank both of you for coming on to the show and being so candid and absolutely authentically real with us. Really appreciate this. That was Justin Hayes of East Nashville. He was joined by Lee Holland with the Homeless Impact Division again. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Thank you, Clue. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll learn how young people living with housing instability have found community and each other. You can join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Kaliole Colonna, and this is Nashville. We've been discussing how people who are unhoused are finding and building community. And we have an update. Last November, we aired a show on young LGBTQ people who are experiencing housing instability. During the show, we talked about Launchpad, a Nashville nonprofit providing temporary street free sleeping shelters for unhoused young adults and in an opening and affirming environment. We met a young person by the name of Imani Miles, a musician who is also known by her stage name, Amira the Weirdo. She joined us to share her story of being unhoused at the age of 18. She joins me now again, Imani. So good to see you. Welcome back to This Is Nashville. Good to see you, too. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being back here. So the last time we talked, you were staying in the Launchpad Shelter but I hear you have an apartment now. Yes, I do. I I do. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. How does it feel? Um, it's it feels great to be able to accomplish a goal, um, and obviously to be able to have a roof over my head, housing. It feels it feels right. <laughs> it feels mm-hmm. like it's what I should have. Uh, but yeah. Blessings. Now, give us the quick version of the story. How did this happen for you? So, um. There was actually a time where I, at the end of Launchpad, I basically, um, I had to leave 
there was a lot of conflict, um, as there is in any shelter. Um, and I left with a friend who had a car and we slept out of that car for a good month, um, right around when Launchpad was ending. Um, we stayed in a, a motel for a couple of weeks. And then uh, after a while, we, after going through the proper channels, like, you know, trying to anything and everything we could to get any sort of help or funding with application fees, pet fees, all that stuff, because um, everybody had a pet. Um, we ended up uh, signing our lease in um, March, and we've been there ever since. So you met your roommate through Launchpad? Yes, I did. So tell me this. How does Launchpad, how does it help you connect with other people who are your age? Um, it's interesting. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, it, it, it connected a lot of people who were the same age as me, who were in similar situations, who were struggling. Um, and it was very beneficial for that reason. But I will say that was also kind of its downfall, <laughs> mm. um, because, um, Initially, it was just about, you know, LGBTQ uh, youth, and that was really where the strength was at. Um, but then eventually it kind of was like everyone who needs shelter who is a young adult. And that was OK. That was fine. I understood. But at the same time, for I know us, it was it was hard to, to take in because it was a lot of people who had options because of, you know, them being um, heterosexual and, and feeling comfortable um, in a Southern, you know, environment and, you know, where they had access to a lot of shelters that we didn't really have access to. And there started to just be, that's where a lot of the conflict came from and where we were butting heads. But on the other side, I did, I was able to find a roommate and I was able to get a place to live and it's really all I could ask for. <laughs> mm-hmm. My next guest is someone Imani met at Launchpad's winter program, Aloe Vera. Welcome to This Is Nashville. Hi, thank you for having me. Really appreciate you being here. What was it like when you first met Imani? Well, when I first met Imani, it was pretty obvious. Like, you know, we're both awkward. We're both, we're both um, on the streets struggling. Um, so, like, our first night, we didn't really talk much. But, um, like, as we were staying at Launchpad over several nights, we became, like, pretty good friends. Um, we became involved in, like, different activities with each other such as like um volunteering at a at a cat cafe um that was yeah a fun adventure <laughs> it was yeah um and like you know we were just good friends we clicked pretty well yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. now i understand that before you got to Launchpad, you stayed at the nashville rescue mission yes i did what was your experience like there well um at first when i was um sent there by like a halfway home. I um I first wanted to try to get into the women's side because I am a uh I identify as a transgender woman. So I wanted to try to get into the women's side and they explain they they said to me that they didn't have the room for it and you know I'd perfectly willing to go along with what they wanted me to do. Um so I was staying on the men's side for several months and um, as part of the LGBTQ community and obviously presenting as such, I was harassed almost on a daily basis mm. by the men on that side of the Nashville, Nashville rescue mission. Mm. Like, yes, they are 
they are struggling themselves and they might need some outs. They might need some help of their own. But for me personally, it was not a very good or wholesome experience. Did the staff take any steps to help you? There was one staff member who made sure that I had like safe access to a shower. Um, they, there were also resources that I had to, um, basically like get out of the mission. Like mm -hmm. I had, I had trouble at first, like even leaving it because it was like so depressing and like a weight on me being there that I needed help to even leave that place. So as you left and you went to the launch pad, yeah. what was that difference like for you when you first arrived? It was night and day. Like I was free to be myself. I was free to um, express my identity. Um, and I didn't feel in danger at all. Mm. Would you say that's how the other young people you met there felt? Yeah, I, I would think so too. Now, I should hope so. Amani, <laughs> you know, when you when you talk with your peers, mm. you know, and they say they felt unsafe at other shelter locations that didn't specialize in helping young people, what makes being at the launch pad so important and special? It was really important and special because um, even though it became not as centralized as it was originally, even just being around people that's your age that you can relate to and you can see like with your eyes and be like, that person is the same as me and have something or someone to relate to. Um, it's really powerful because it's one of those things where it's like, oh, OK, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one going through this. There are other people like me. I see them. They see me. We're in this together type of thing. Talk to me about that support, Aloe. Like the support from having your peers, I'm sure at the Nashville Re Re Nashville Rescue Mission, there were folks of many different ages there. Right. You were probably were you one of the youngest ones there? I was one of the youngest. There were like maybe two or three uh, other youth who were around that age. Okay, so you go from that environment to a place where everyone's the same. Everyone's age. the same age. What? How much of a difference does that really make for you? It definitely felt like there were people who understood, like. I like in the Nashville Rescue Mission, there's all of these older people um, who may not necessarily understand where you're coming from, what kind of interests you might have, what kind of um, thoughts you might even think. But when you come to, to Launchpad, there's people who are on the same grounds. They're, they're like the same level of thinking. They understand like jokes that I might make that other people might not. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like there's a lot of close bonds and connections at Launchpad. Imani is that community. Mm. Even though you know you have an apartment now, yeah. You know, you're 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 in this next transition phase. Do you feel like it's important for you to stay in touch with the folks you've met there? Oh, definitely. Um, and I have. Al is one of them. Um, there's another person who couldn't be here today. That's one of them. Um, and I, um, me personally, I've, I kind of, um, just because I was pretty much the only one that was like born in Nashville, I know my way around Nashville at the shelter. I kind of felt a, a, a semblance, like a, a little responsibility to try and, and help who I could when I could and, um, you know, um, make sure everyone was okay. Um, 
And, you know, it's kind of what I've been doing. As I just, you know, <laughs> like, hey, like, how are you? What are you doing today? Da, da, da. Um, and actually, I because we worked at the kitten shelter today, I actually, I, I gave uh, Aloe a job to kitten sit my kitten um, because I was just like, hey, I know you don't have anything that you're doing. So like, <laughs> so I was just like, how about you just come over here? I know you like I know you like cats. I know you like kittens. Just come in and I'll pay you to like watch her, my, my new kitten that I got because I had to work. So Yeah, that's the only reason we're still friends. Kidding, no, kidding, kidding. No, it's not. <laughs> kittens bring, do, do bring the world together. They now, do. if you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm your host, Khalil. Lake Alona. We're talking this hour about how people living with housing instability are finding friendship and community. Tweet us your comments at This Is Nashville. Now, earlier we had some guests on who were talking about what life is like in some of the encampments around town. Mm. Have you two at Launchpad, have you met young people who were living on in, in an encampment? Um, I can't really speak on it. Um, I haven't really asked anybody what their background might have been. Um, if someone has been in an encampment, um, and, and voiced that, I must say, I may not have been paying perfect attention. Um, it's very hard to, especially when you're living, um, a sort of like shelter life, it's very hard to communicate and reach out to people and for people to do the same because, uh, even though sometimes you do feel a sense of community and you do feel a sense of, uh, friendship and togetherness um, from a lot of our experience, um, especially with the older, you know, people in the shelter. Um, they could be your friend one minute and then the next day they could they could take all of your things and they could run away. Um, and and so it's very hard for people to open up, especially when it comes to like, really personal things. So, Allo, tell me, what do you want people to know about unhoused youth and building community through friendships? Well, I do know that, like, when it comes to LGBTQ youth, they are um, at some of the most danger of being unhoused and experiencing homelessness. But um, I I want people to know that they're not alone if they're experiencing homelessness. And also, if you if you yourself have the privilege and ability to live on your own merits, um, that as long as you're aware of homelessness and aware of what you can do in your community um, to help those people, then at the end of the day, that's what you should do, what you can do. Mm-hmm. Now, Imani, mm. as a young person who helps your peers with resources and information, mm. you know, you, you, you put aloe onto cat sitting. Oh, yeah. How does it feel to be able to help everybody like that? Um, for me, it it feels very like one inspiring to me. Like I get really inspired by people's stories, and I get really inspired by just you know what people come and they tell me like you know how much of a hard life they have, and then they're just like, but I like kittens, or like, but I and they, <laughs> and, they and they just talk. They they focus on. They're very optimistic, and they try to focus on the happy things. Um, but then also for me, it's a privilege because. Um, I I'm always grateful for people who like put their trust in me and people who, you know, um, respects me enough to, you know, want to help or want to do things together or, you know, any anything. Because, like I said, it's just very hard to even get past the point of connection with a lot of people, especially people uh, from shelter. That was 
Imani Miles, she was joined by Aloe Vera. Thanks again to you both for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank you. you. And thank you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Our show has only been possible because of your support. And we're in the midst of our Sprint Fund Drive. And we need you to step up and make your donation now at thisisnashville.org. While you're there, you can listen back to all of our past episodes. Today's episode was produced by Rose Gilbert. Our senior producer is Steve Farouche. Our digital lead, Anna Geigos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Harriet Wallace. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Akulona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other. <laughs>